Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Medisodes. Today we're going to be talking about colour blindness. Imagine a world where the grass is not green but red. This is the reality for millions of people living with colour blindness. Colour blindness is a sex linked hereditary genetic condition with a rather misleading name. Complete colour blindness, known as monochromacy, is extremely rare affecting only one in 33,000 people. Most people who have color blindness, such as myself, can still see colors. They just find it difficult to identify and differentiate between certain colors. The condition should more accurately be described as color vision deficiency, but this just isn't as catchy as color blindness. So I mentioned that color blindness is a sex-linked hereditary condition, so let's go on to Anapamp to see how color blindness is inherited. So now let's talk about how color blindness is inherited because color blindness is inherently a genetic condition. It affects one in 12 men, but only one in 200 women. And this really stark difference is caused due to the way color blindness is inherited. Color blindness is caused by faulty or absent cones on, or faulty optic nerves. And the genes responsible for these parts of the body are found on the sex chromosomes, specifically the X sex chromosome. While women will have two X sex chromosomes, one from each of their parents, men only inherit one from their mother as their second sex chromosome is a Y chromosome from their father. And since colorblindness is a recessive condition, women need to inherit two alleles for colorblindness from both parents to be colorblind, whereas men only need to inherit the alleles from their mother. This means only women can be carriers for colorblindness. If a man has the chromosome for colorblindness, they will always be a sufferer from the condition. And therefore they are far more likely to be colorblind because for them to have the condition, they have a much higher chance of having it from their parents. It is also important to note that colorblindness can also be acquired later in life due to underlying health conditions such as diabetes, multiple sclerosis, or glaucoma, as well as exposure to certain toxic chemicals. However, in the vast majority of cases, colorblind people will have inherited the condition genetically from their parents. Now, I've been using colorblindness as a general term, but as Shrey mentioned earlier, there are many different types of colorblindness. To talk more about those is Adrian. So colorblindness is an umbrella term used to refer to several types of colorblindness. There are seven official types of colorblindness, four within the red-green category, two in the blue-yellow category, and one that completely lacks color. Human eyes contain two types of photoreceptor, rods and cones, named after their shape. Rods are highly light-sensitive. They allow for eyesight to adjust in the darkness and help with basic vision. There are 18 times more rods than cones in the eye. Cones are what give us fine detail and colour, and work best in bright light, hence why it's harder to see colour when it's darker. All types of colour blindness are due to a lack of or dysfunctional cones. The human eye contains three different types of cones. S cones, short wavelength cones, help us see blue. M cones, medium wavelength cones, reveal green. And L cones, long wavelength cones, interpret red light. The absence of any of these three types of cones is what accounts for different types of colorblindness. 
Most people who have trouble seeing various spectrums of light have what is called inherited colorblindness. The genes that code for this correct cone function, which are passed down from their parents, have an error. This is why colorblindness tends to run in families, as Anupam has just discussed. The most common types of colorblindness in humans fall under the heading of anomalous trichromacy. This, that is to say that one of the three cone types, red, green, or blue, in the indiv individual's eyes, isn't functioning as expected. The types of red-green colorblindness fall into four different categories. Protonopia, also known as red-blind, means that individuals have no red cones. Protonomaly, also known as red-weak, means that individuals have red cones and can usually see some shades of red. Deutonopia, also known as green-blind, means that individuals have no green cones and deuteronomaly, also known as green weak. Individuals have green cones and can usually see some shades of green. Ultimately, the different types of red-green color blindness all result in the individual seeing a world the rest of us would describe as murky green with hints of blue and yellow. Browns, oranges and reds are easily confused and pale shades in general are difficult to distinguish. Blue-yellow color blindness is less common Two types of colorblindness in this category both make it difficult to tell the difference between blue and green, as well as yellow and red. There are two types of blue-yellow colorblindness. Tritonopia, also known as blue-blind, which means that individuals have no blue cones, and tritonomaly, also known as blue-weak, which means that individuals have blue cones and can usually see some shades of blue. All six of these types of colorblindness stem from one of three cone types not functioning to some degree. Though people with anomalous trichromacy may have trouble selecting ripe fruit or reading traffic lights, most colorblind people adapt to live normal lives, as Shrey will talk about later. Monochromacy, on the other hand, can be quite challenging. People with monochromacy see no color at all. For these individuals, the world exists in black and white, much like an old-time television. The concomitant light sensitivity often transforms everyday tasks into difficult chores. It's also interesting to note that some women actually have a fourth type of light absorbing cone. As many as 12% of women may have super color vision, a fourth cone allowing them to see 100 times more colors than the rest of the population. Color vision tests do not usually form part of the routine NHSI tests, but you can specifically ask for them if you have a concern that you may have a color vision deficiency. Two of the main tests used to diagnose color vision deficiency are the Ishihara test, where you're asked to identify numbers contained within images made out of different colored dots, and color arrangement tests, where you're asked to arrange colored objects in order of their different shades. There are also a number of online tests using similar techniques that may help detect a possible problem, but it's best to have a proper test at an optician's if you have any concerns about color vision. The Ishihara test consists of a number of Ishihara plates, which are a set of colored dots that appeared random in size and color. However, within the plates, there are dots that form a number or shape clearly visible to those with normal color vision, but are difficult to see to those with a red-green color defect. Some other plates are designed so that the numbers are visible only to those with a red-green colorblind defect and not visible to those with normal color vision. This allows for the identification of red-green colorblindness and also allows for the identification of the extent of it. 
of the extent of its case. This helps with future treatment options and allows for the optician to advise the patient on how to best manage and live with their colorblindness. And for this, I'll hand over to Shrey. The severity and effect of colorblindness on, on a person's daily life can vary massively from person to person, even if they have the same type of colorblindness. For example, a deuteran, someone with deuteranomaly, may have almost normal color vision, or they could be completely unable to see in green, depending on how severe the effect on their sorry, depending on how severely their cones are affected. A common and obvious problem is traffic lights. Many colorblind drivers may not be able to differentiate between the colors, so rely on the position of the lights, whether the top, middle, or bottom light is turned on in order to know where to stop or go. Although in most countries, it's still legal to drive even if you're colorblind, and it's an exemption that's given by the DVLA on that when you apply for your driving license. A similar problem occurs with safety warnings and signs. Red warning lights may be perceived as green and therefore a colorblind person may not realize that they are in danger. Having symbols and writing as well as colors are incredibly important in making sure that everyone is safe. Another hazard is cooking. Cooking can be tricky even for people lucky enough to have normal color vision, but it's even more challenging for those who cannot recognize color changes, especially when cooking meat. Colorblind people tend to play it safe and overcook food. However, the greatest challenge lies in the classroom. In primary school, coloring pencils with the colors labeled on them saved me the ignominy of having to ask the teacher what color they were. Teachers and support staff need to have training so they know how to adapt their lessons to be as inclusive as possible. There are likely to be many people who are colorblind within a class. Some of them might not even know. 40% of colorblind people leaving secondary school don't know they're colorblind. This can have terrible consequences for their mental health. Certain careers are impossible for those who are colorblind, such as being a pilot. Imagine if you had passed all the tests to pursue your dream of becoming a pilot, only to be told at the last step you couldn't get your license because you failed the medical due to your color vision. Happily, for me and the 300 million people colorblind worldwide, technology is making daily life a bit easier. There are now apps that can identify colors for you using your phone's camera. All you need to do is point your camera at the item and you will be able to identify, the, it will identify the color for you. This is especially useful when trying to buy fruits in the supermarket to check that they are ripe. There are also increasingly colorblind modes on apps, websites and games and devices. And, uh, and these are becoming increasingly common as companies realize that a significant proportion of their customers perceive color differently. So we've talked a bit about the challenges of living with colorblindness, but let's look into how it can be treated. Colorblindness is very hard to treat due to the fact that it is a hereditary genetic condition. 
currently the best solutions to treat color blindness are known as tinted lenses. They block certain wavelengths of light where the spectra of the cones overlap with the use of rare earth metals. Using this concept, the lenses make it easier for colorblind people to differentiate between different colors. The inventor of the lenses originally designed them to be for doctors performing laser eye surgery, but when given, but when he gave one of the lenses to his colorblind friend, the lens's potential to help colorblind individuals was discovered. However, these tinted lenses are not the perfect solution to colorblindness and do not work for all colorblind individuals. One of their biggest limitations is that they only work for people who have red-green colorblindness. Although this is the most common type of colorblindness, it does not offer a solution to help people with other types of colorblindness, such as blue-yellow colorblindness and complete colorblindness. Another limitation with tinted lenses is that they Another limitation with tinted lenses is that they do not restore normal color vision. Instead, they make colors more vivid. Tinted lenses can be part of glasses or contact lenses. As mentioned previously by Shrey, visual aids are also a possible solution that might help colorblind individuals recognize colors, for example, by using apps on your phone. There are also a few things that colorblind people can do to remember what color, what color certain things are. So as mentioned previously, remembering the order of colors in a sequence is really important, for example, in identifying traffic lights. Another tip is to label colored items, and this can be useful when you're deciding what colors, color combinations to wear in terms of clothing. And labeling items with their colors can allow colorblind people to make their own fashion choices. Looking at potential future treatments for colorblindness, we can look towards gene editing technologies such as CRISPR. In the future, it may be possible to cure colorblindness with gene replacement, providing a long-term treatment for colorblindness. So even though there is no cure for colorblindness currently, hopefully these treatments and tips can be implemented by colorblind people to manage daily tasks and wishes. As technology improves, better colorblind treatments can be offered. So we've seen that colorblindness is a varying condition depending on the person, but also a very widespread one. Given that it's one of the most common genetic conditions, why do you think more people don't know about how colorblindness works? I think the one key thing about colorblindness is that it's not a very visible condition. So you can't tell just by looking at someone that they have colorblindness. And while it is a big part of how a lot of colorblind people have to live their lives and affects them a lot, in most cases, it doesn't hugely affect most of their day-to-day -day interactions with other people. And I think a lot of people just believe that it's not really a problem in the 21st century, which is why it doesn't really get brought up that much, even though it affects so many people. And what's more, they can't really compare their vision to what normal vision is. And there's no such test that would allow them to do that because whatever they see is color vision deficient. So there's no easy way for them to see if they do have color blindness and they have to book tests. And oftentimes people won't book tests if they aren't suspicious of co potential color blindness. So this means that because people are less aware, they're not going to be booking as many tests or booking the tests that they need to identify their color blindness. So they just end up living with it and not knowing. Well, I think that the 
lack of early screening programs for identifying colorblindness is uh, another potential factor why they might not be like uh, colorblindness might not be identified in like the early stages of life. So I think that having screening tests for people who have colorblindness running in their family would be really useful for identifying people with colorblindness. Yes, I think we've raised an important point that really, um, ideally, all children should be tested for colorblindness because it'll save them a lot of pain uh, later in life. But apart from this, do you feel more could be done to help to adapt to the needs of colorblind people? Well, as mentioned earlier, when it came to the examples of crayons, labeling things is a great way to help colorblind people understand what something is. And while color coding things is useful for people who have normal vision, I think we need to be careful that things aren't assumed to be understood just because they're color coded, especially in the case when you're dealing with colorblind people. So we've seen that colorblindness is a condition that many sufferers are unaware that they even have. Children struggle through school thinking they're stupid because they can't because they keep getting their colors mixed up. And Teachers don't know this and just assume that they don't know their colors. Everyone knows someone who is colorblind. So why doesn't everyone know what colorblindness is? I hope we've helped you to understand this condition which affects 3 million people in the UK. And hopefully you'll have greater sympathy for us colorblind folk. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Remember to like and subscribe and we'll see you in the next one.